There is no error with your audio outputs. Do not attempt to fix any sound issues. We are monitoring you with this device. We control your options and settings. We are transmitting through your internet connection, but our signal is actually entering your mind, sending electrical impulses into the very tissues of your brain. Try to stay calm. We've taken over your senses for the duration of this broadcast. You are helpless to resist. We have taken control for your own sake. There are things you must know. This is Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. And welcome to another amazingly, massively, super splintacular episode of the uh, Paranoia Podcast. I am Olaf Phillips. I uh, publish Paranoia Magazine, and I do research. On the phone, I have Ron Patton, our editor-in-chief. Ron. Hey, hey. Aloha, everybody. No, Welcome. Ron, Ron, say something smart. <laughs> well, I mean, come on. I just got finished producing Grounds here with Clyde Lewis. And so, you know, the, the smart stuff, yeah, the smart stuff will, will come within time. But uh, are we going to talk at all about Camp Paranoia, or is that for later? No, uh, we'll do a little bit now. So, uh, well, first of all, before we get to Camp Paranoia... Um, I uh, I got a I got a really great deal on a, a night vision scope uh, or a night vision monocular from uh, this guy over at Bearing Optical. That's the guy we met at Contact in the Desert, correct? Yeah, yeah he supplied the uh, the night vision goggles for Contact in the Desert, and um, I got it yesterday afternoon, and I thought, what the hell? So last night I uh, <laughs> I put it on a tripod. Um, he, it was nice enough to send me a camera mount. So I put my iPhone on it. Yes, I have an iPhone. I'm part of the evil empire. And, uh, and I broadcast it live on uh, Facebook and wouldn't you know it, uh, 29 minutes into it, uh, we got two very odd objects that, uh, that we filmed and recorded, um, going across the sky. Mm hmm. Yeah. Kind of in a diagonal manner? Or? Yeah, basically from, yeah. from south. Well, they came out of the southwest, and then they, they turned and went north. And they they uh, there's some sort of a – they flared up, and then they took off, and, and it's all recorded. And we did that live on Facebook. And I, I have to tell you, that was pretty damn impressive. Um, the quality is very high. I was just stunned. I mean, I got the thing in the the damn afternoon, and that night right. I, I hooked it up. Thirty minutes into running it, there you go, exotic aircraft. Wow, we should uh, advertise that in uh, Paranoia. We're going to, but if any of the listeners are interested in uh, night vision gear, the guys over Baron Optical they they have pretty good gear, and I bought a a really cheap first generation um, monocular for the kids. And I hooked that thing up. I ran it for two and a half hours, and I got a very strange object going from south to north. And there were no satellites in the sky. And it's clear enough. I put that up on on Paranoia's uh, Facebook page. Um, It was clear enough that you could see it. So, I mean, you don't need a third-generation night vision to see this stuff. I did it with a 2+, and I even did it with a 1. So, you know, if, if you're interested in doing sky watches, this stuff really does work. 
It, it was very, very impressive. I mean, you should have seen the Facebook feed when that thing went across the sky. There were two of them. People were like, oh, my God, oh, my God, you know. But I'm, I'm going to be uploading a shortened version where it's just the about three minutes that we were able to film it versus the entire one-hour thing. And, and I stripped out my commentary because I know you guys don't want to hear me talk. Well, we'd love to hear you. I mean, you have such a sexy voice. Come on. Yeah, right. Anyway, um, and so about Camp Paranoia. So we're moving forward. Um, I have I have some T-shirt designs uh, that we're going to make T-shirts. And we're having a coin designed right now. It's going to be a challenge coin that you're going to get um, if you donate uh, at a certain tier or above. And that coin will allow you to get into Paranoia events. And, and it will allow you to camp at, at Camp Paranoia. And uh, we found a plot of land. It's looking pretty good. I think it's in our price range. Uh, it's in an area that is active with Bigfoot. So we got weird mm-hmm. stuff in the sky down there. It's in southern Oregon. Bigfoot. We got weird right. stuff in the sky. We got Bigfoot and possibly some uh, ghost activity, too. So <clears throat> it's a it's an interesting spot. And it's very, a lot of trees and very relaxing. and Right. But we're going to be doing a GoFundMe pretty soon. I'm just waiting for the designs to come back for the uh, coins so we can show you what the coin would look like. But it's looking pretty sweet. I figure if the N- the NRO can make coins, Paranoia can make coins. Why not? Yeah. Why not? I, hey, that makes sense. And, uh, sure, you know, I'm sure it'll, it, we have it'll be a great collector's item. Mm-hmm. Yes, there will be a limited number of them made. Uh, pretty much one. One for everybody who donates. <laughs> um, uh, we're also, uh, we've collected the articles, so we're getting ready to lay it out, the spring-summer issue. Remember, we uh, we commit to publishing three times a year, but we try to publish four. But mm-hmm. uh, we're a very amateur operation, uh, so we sometimes get busy with other stuff and just don't get around to it. But We'll have a summer issue out. For sure, definitely. There will be a spring slash summer issue. Uh, we got some great stuff. Clyde's in there. Um, Walter Bosley's breaking down the bell. Uh, we got, got something from Elisa. Elisa's uh, in there. Survivor. I got a Hercules. Uh, Hercules has submitted a very interesting article. Uh, we had him on last week um, about God's walking on the earth. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. There's just a whole lot of crap in there. You should just buy it when it comes out because you should just buy it. Yeah, most definitely. No, I mean, Paranoia it has been around since 1992, and it is yeah, yeah, yeah. considered one of the premier one, conspiracy it is the premier and paranormal magazines in the universe. The premier. I'm at the helm, so it's... But I didn't want to say that in front of our guest tonight. I mean, I don't know. He might have been putting something out, too, that I'm not aware of. Oh, his his stuff is the premiere as well. Okay. Right, so, so you can have you can have co premieres. Of course, we're not we're not elitists. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, we're not part of the uh, cryptocracy. We're 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 good people. Speak for yourself. Come dead, on, dead air. Okay. <laughs> so so tonight uh, we have a very interesting guest. Uh, Tim Schwartz has has graciously. Uh, joined us this evening um i could read tim's bio but it'd be too damn long uh basically tim schwartz is a a really good writer he's a really good researcher and 
the thing I like about Tim is that he he's willing to go out there and actually research some interesting stuff. And he doesn't he doesn't research just the the top three things, you know. Uh, he does, you know, he'll go out and research all kinds of different stuff. Um, a long time ago, he worked in broadcast media. Uh, he's made, you know, movies. He writes. He does all kinds of stuff. And he has a really funny uh, profile photo with some sort of a weird uh, monster in the background that I think is the Yeti. But I'll ask him about that. So, Tim, welcome to our amazingly professional podcast. I want to. I want to sing about. Uh camp paranoia hello mother hello father here i am at camp paranoia there (laughs) that's my singing that's my singing debut so uh if you donate at the two thousand dollar level uh you will get tim's (laughs) tim's latest record Ah, that's right. That's a pan pan flutes by Tim Schwartz. <laughs> featured on, yeah. featured on Schlock, Schlock Fest 2017. <laughs> uh, Two thousand of your favorite pan flute hits. <laughs> you know, I have a, I have a friend, uh, Mr. Lobo. Um, he has a TV mm-hmm. show called Cinema Insomnia, and uh, he he also has a Roku channel called OSI 74. And he used to make these, um, he made this uh, commercial for this guy. I think it's, I forget which movie it's from. It's like, not Radar Men on the Moon, but it's it's one of those. And it's like Zontar sings the greatest hits. And it, it's, it's, it's all like pan flute, like 1980s pan flute. And then this guy trying to sing is all... Uh, I'm not even going to try to sing it. It's just terrible. <laughs> I won't do it justice. Uh, we'll save it for the campfire. There you go. Bring, right. out, bring out the mars, marshmallows and s'mores, and then you know, sing, sing your favorite pan, pan flute hits. Okay. Oh, uh, by the by the way, uh, my my profile picture uh, that you were referring to—that was my Halloween costume uh, this uh, this this past Halloween. Um, my myself and and my friends, we went as um, uh, the Carn Evil troop. So I I was the um, uh, monkey uh, uh, was an organ grinder, organ grinder with an evil monkey. That's what that is because it's yes. white and it looks very yeah. strange. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, see, I'm I'm kind of like uh, a very very sad and depressed because the monkey is basically in control and the monkey has like a big uh, big scary knife in one hand. And is you know uh, constantly threatening other people oh, as nice. they walk by. Yeah, I yeah, guess it was, that, it was a lot of fun. I guess that's the ten thousandth monkey. You ever heard of the the theory of the ten thousandth monkey? Hmm, possibly. Go for it. Okay, so the the theory of the ten thousandth monkey is that if you put ten thousand monkeys in a room with a typewriter, eventually yes. one of them will write War and Peace. <laughs> yeah, not this monkey. He's he he's very ill tempered. That's that's why I always that's why I told everybody I said don't don't get close to the monkey he's he's ill tempered and then he ill-tempered. yeah yeah well I say I I I he's a it's a puppet and I actually um, uh, constructed like fake arms one one fake arm is is um, working the, uh, the 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 musical organ uh-huh. uh, and, and then the other one I've got that uh, you know is controlling the head of the monkey but then my arm. 
that I had a uh, like a, a a rod controlling its hand with a knife in it. So when people would get too close, the monkey would like you know bring this knife out oh, and you nice. know like try to stab him and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I, <laughs> kids kids were terrified and ran away screaming. That's it was it's a fun. Great, it's a great. It was a great day. Terrifying kids is is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> all right well that, that all being said let's cut the crap so you're here for a reason so tim tim beckley uh a man i adore and idolize uh just came out with a new book and i gotta mm-hmm. tell you the cover the cover is very trippy uh i don't know if that's supposed to be philip k dick i guess it is but it looks like he's playing a pan flute that is, has a, a rainbow attached to it that is summoning a UFO surrounded by stars and unicorns. <laughs> no, I'm yeah, not, that uh, not that actually that's... that was that was painted by uh, Tim's uh, assistant, uh, Carol Rodriguez. I love yeah, it, and, and I think I think actually he he is supposed to be almost. It's almost like. Uh, 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 blowing bubbles almost. He's got his hands up, and uh, maybe he's he's uh, like uh, 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 blowing a UFO and and a unicorn and a rainbow. I'm, I'm seeing and a I'm seeing a cosmic pan flute. Yeah, uh, that, sure, that works. So you know? <laughs> it is called the Matrix Control System of Philip K. Dick and other paranormal synchronicities of Timothy Green Beckley. Mm-hmm. So I saw this book and I said, you know, Tim, we have this kind of like podcast sort of and i want to talk about this stuff and he said i said i gotta get you on the show he's all i'm not gonna do your show i'm not gonna stand (laughs) in the middle of the night to talk about this crap but you know who will is tim schwartz (laughs) he's like call tim and so tim told me to call tim and and hook it up so here you are so what's well the the thing about it is is that uh uh you know earlier uh, uh this evening you know we do our own uh, webcast which is awesome uh, by the way thank you very much and uh, uh you know it's on uh, kcr kcor com, right. and, and it goes from you know i'm on eastern time so it goes from you know 10 to midnight eastern so you know then uh, uh i have to stay up then another hour uh, to be on yours but i don't care you know i love doing these shows you know i love uh, i love you uh, olav and you, uh, and, and ron you, you know yeah, yeah, I mean, you guys are, are are great. So, I mean, it's uh, um, you know, it's just a real pleasure to to be on with you. Well, it's a community, you know. We try to we try to help you and Tim out as much as we can, and and you guys have always been very supportive of us. So, you know, we we're all just trying. You know what? You know what it is, Ron. There, there's. I'm just gonna gonna digress for a second before we get into the the holographic <laughs> universe and and Valus and all this stuff. You know, gotcha. there, there's a group of people out there that they're hellbent on making money, and they they no. will extract money from UFO believers in any way they possibly can, whether mm-hmm. they sell shot glasses and flasks or underwear, or they charge you <laughs> six hundred or thousand bucks to go out in the desert and shine flashlights in the sky. These guys take money from people, and the the thing that I've always liked about what we do is that we're, we have a community. You know, there, there are a whole bunch of us out there that we all write for each other and we help each other out. And, you know, we're, we're not, like, making money off of each other. You know, we each have our projects, but we're all supportive of everybody else's. And I think that's the way that it needs to be, not the way that it is with the conspiracy elite. Those guys, 
more and more every day. They just piss me off more and more. And for Walter, I know you're listening. I'm seeing colors, Walter. I'm seeing colors. <laughs> All right, now, so, so you sent me a very interesting article that was written by uh, Sean Castile, who I also love. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about, it's called reshaping reality while living in an alternate universe. And from the gist of it, from what I could get is that he's talking about like a matrix or a holographic universe that where we exist within it. Is that pretty close? Yeah. Well, um, Sean's article is, is based, you know, naturally from, uh, from this book, the matrix control system of Philip K. Dick. And, you know, and, and, uh, I I would hope that you're familiar, uh, with, uh, 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 Dick's writings. Uh, but, uh, you know, one of the things that especially, you know, if you look at, uh, Dick's, uh, books, Especially, you know, like uh, from the beginning, you know, like the 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 middle nineteen fifties, uh, they're pretty much, you know, like your standard amazing stories types of uh, of 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 novels. You know, they're pretty nuts and bolts. You know, rocket ships, colonies on the moon and Mars. You know, things like that. Uh, by the time um, he got to around you know, about the mid nineteen sixties. Uh, you know, Phil was starting to write more about um, the unreality of our reality. What's the true reality? Is there a true reality? A lot of his stories had to do with people having experiences only to uh, figure out that their experiences um, weren't in the normal reality, whatever that is, you know, and, uh, that, that was a favorite theme of Phil's for, you know, really the remainder of his life. Um, you know, you, and it got to the point with him that, that he really did believe, you know, due to, uh, personal experiences, uh, uh whether that, you know, whether you'd call them, paranormal or, or 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 what have you i mean he really did come to believe that um that our reality was probably a a, a simulation you know and which was i mean you know this this was very far you know far thinking uh, uh for this guy because i mean it wasn't just till you know a couple of years ago that uh uh you know scientists and physicists and philosophers you know uh, really uh were brave enough to entertain this idea yet uh you know uh phil he was uh he was in paris uh, uh attending you know like a science fiction uh a conference and he gave a uh, an interview for the press and for you know uh, some of these uh some of these people who were attending this this science fiction conference and he be- basically came right out and said that it was his belief that that we are living in a uh, a, a, a simulation either computer generated or, or or what have you and uh, there was actually this was actually filmed and there was cutaways of uh, the audience listening to him talk, and you can tell from the expression on these people's face faces that I mean they they figure that you know Dick has gone off the deep end at this point, you know I mean they 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 were very uncomfortable with what he was talking about. Yet you know now you listen to what he's saying, and it's just like yeah, 
you know, he's, he's making some sense there, you know? And so that, that ended up, you know, really, uh, uh, being the, the governing point of, of a lot of his books after that, as well as this, this, the whole idea that, um, uh, you know, we're not only are we living uh, possibly in a, uh, in a created simulation, but there are other intelligences that are um, communicating with us, uh, controlling us, influencing us uh, throughout our lives through, through you know, various uh, means. Uh, you look at uh, uh, Ubik, uh, Vallis, um, 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 flow my tears. The policeman said, "You know, books like that. I mean, they they all have this, you know, these underlying ideas of of uh, you know um, of, of alternate realities, uh, other dimensions, and um, uh, an intelligence or intelligences." Uh, how you would pronounce that, that uh, exist outside of our reality, yet are managing to pierce that veil and communicate with us in, you know, either direct or, or subtle ways. Yeah, so you were talking about Valis. So if I remember correctly, it's been some time since I've read some of those. Mm-hmm. But in Valis in particular, he talked about being bathed in a light and receiving information from a device in orbit. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, uh, um, um, and you know, Vallis is a, is, you know, a science fiction novel, right. but it's based on his own experiences. Uh, it, it, it stemmed from, uh, a, a point in his life where he had, uh, he had had dental surgery and was in a lot of pain. And so the dentist had written him a, a prescription for pain pills and, uh, the pharmacist, uh, uh, the pharmacy, uh, had it delivered to his house, which, I mean, to me, that's, that's an amazing thing. I mean, that's what, what, what pharmacies he'll deliver yeah. now. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. But, but anyway, the, uh, the girl that was delivering, uh, uh, his medication was wearing the, uh, um, and I, and I can't remember what the name of it is now, you know, the, the Christian fish. Right. Uh, uh, it was a, you know, like a, like a gold, gold fish on a chain and he, this or something like that, something like that. Right. And, and, uh, uh, he was, uh, he was interested in it and she was telling him about it. And there was at first, he said there was a reflection off of it that, that, that hit his eyes. But then right almost immediately afterwards, he said that he was struck by you know he said it was like a pink laser beam that that came in from the sky above her head and hit him you know like square in the forehead and uh you know i mean it was it it wasn't like you know like the movies or anything like that where you know like he's knocked to the floor and furniture is sent spiraling around or anything like that Uh, but uh you know he was taken aback by it that's it's probably an understatement and uh he said in that instant that he was struck by this beam it was like this this ray of light carried information and that information was downloaded into his brain Mm -hmm. and um uh and and it's not only 
did it um, uh, convey information to him? But he and and you know it it gets it gets really complicated uh, because it it also made him realize that um, that our 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 time is not what we think it is. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, I mean, I have, I have trouble, you know, myself, uh, uh you know, understanding it, but it, it was almost along the lines of like, uh, at some point during, uh, I think it was the Roman era time just basically stopped and that, hold, hold uh, on, hold on. Uh, time, time stopped in the Roman era. Yeah. Uh, and that, but, uh, um, you know, I, I guess that. It is Philip K. Dick. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is Philip K. I mean, and he wrote. Uh, gosh, what, what's it called? The the, the Egress. Uh, this this huge volume, I guess, of just you know uh, of notes that he took down, you know, during these revelations, you know, because they would you know uh, uh, ebb and flow uh, into him after he had this uh, the experience, you know, with the uh, the, the big laser beam. And, uh, but it was, it was more along the lines that, uh, um, you know, our, our, our physical reality continued on, but, but the actual, you know, like, uh, I guess time space or whatever, you know, kind of like, uh, froze so that we're, we're kind of like living right now simultaneously in the 21st and first century. You know, like I said, I don't, I don't profess to understand and I'm not sure, you know, that, that he really did either, you know, he was trying to, you know, he was trying to write down and understand something that possibly can't really be understood, you know, just or articulated in words. I mean, exactly. Even, even after, I guess he got zapped by that, um, by that, uh, image of the fish. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden he, he had like this precognitive telepathy or this psychic ability to the extent where he found out that his infant son was ill and I guess they took their son to the hospital and it was confirmed that it had some sort of, uh, you know, significant illness. So it was like, <laughs> but I think then he started really taking off with it and, you know, began experiencing some more bizarre hallucin- hallucinations that weren't really, you know, jiving with reality. Exactly. Well, you know, and, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, Beckley and myself, I mean, we're good friends with his, um, ex-wife Tessa. Tessa. Yeah. Tessa Dick. Yeah. And I mean, you know, she, it was, it was their child that, uh, that he had that experience with. And it it was a situation where he was just kind of like, you know, lying on the couch and, uh, just all of a sudden he just, uh, um, he just knew that his son and, and his son was, you know, quite small, was suffering from, I think it was like an intestinal blockage mm-hmm. is, is what it was. And he was showing no symptoms or anything like that. But Phil, you know, insisted that uh, they take his, uh, you know, take his son to the hospital. And she reluctantly agreed. And, the, you know, and the doctors naturally just like, you know, uh, you, he doesn't show any kind of uh you know, he doesn't appear to be sick or anything like that, but uh, he insisted that they check him out. And uh, after a, I guess, a complete uh, workover, they discovered that yes, he did have uh, an intestinal blockage that, uh, in probably just in a matter of a, a couple of days, would have killed him. 
Right. Uh, so, but uh, you know, but that wasn't the o- the only thing. I mean, uh, you know, he writes about how um, uh, one book in particular uh, was a, a radio free uh, Almuth. Uh, and again, this this uh, this was a you know, kind of like a fictionalized uh, version of of what he was going through. Um, in the middle of the night, um, his unplugged uh, clock radio would um, turn on and uh, start playing music, and he said uh, that uh, voices uh, would uh, would also be talking to him. Uh, over this music, uh, telling him that uh, um, he was a bad person and he should, you know, commit suicide and that sort of thing. Now, uh, Tessa confirmed to us that that actually did happen, that uh, this clock radio would turn on in the middle of the night. It wasn't plugged in, didn't have batteries in it or anything like that. It would come on in the middle of the night and play music. She said that she never heard uh, the vocal messages that Dick said that uh, that he was receiving, but she did say that yes, it would turn on and and play music. So you know, and that's that's just you know that's just a couple of examples. Yeah, one of many uh, very bizarre uh, things that occurred in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, and he, you know, he also um, uh, it, it, it seems like that possibly that he was under observation as well. You know, either by you know the uh, one of the number agencies or you know like maybe the local police or somebody like that because you know several times uh, their house had, was broken into, uh, things were rifled through, but nothing was really taken except uh, uh, one time uh, some of his notes were taken uh, had you know no no value to anybody else. Uh, but that's, uh, you know, that's what was taken. Um, you know, he did write, uh, several letters, uh, to the FBI saying that, uh, he had been approached by, you know, he called them, uh, like, uh, neo-Nazis who, mm-hmm. that they had, uh, he said that they had requested him to, uh, write, uh, some novels with kind of subtle hit, hidden white supremacist Nazi elements to it to help them uh, recruit uh, along those lines. And uh, he he was fearful that, you know, he wasn't the only one that they were approaching. So, you know, I mean, he, he wrote to the FBI uh, detailing, you know, what, uh, what these people had requested for him. That alone probably... Uh, caused the FBI to open right. up a you know a substantial file on him at that point, and right. it was and it was well known too you know especially by uh, uh, the police there uh, where he lived that uh, that Phil um, was a um, uh, you know used uh, amphetamines right. and quite and quite a few amphetamines uh, I, I guess uh, when he was writing. You know, of course, being a, a science fiction writer at that time, you know, you didn't get paid a lot. Uh, so he had to, you know, be constantly, you know, uh, producing product just in order to make, you know, even a even a, a, a substandard, you know, level of uh, uh, of living. So, I mean, I, I guess that, uh, you know, while he was writing, I mean, he, he would just, you know, 
eat the amphetamines like uh, yeah. M&Ms. You know? Well, he didn't even have to take hallucinogenics because he was already tripping out, you know. Well, you know, I mean, uh, uh, amphetamines are uh, pretty close yeah. uh, chemically to a lot of uh, psychedelics. So, yeah. So, I mean, you know, there, uh, you know, I don't, who knows what kind he was taking, you know, at that time, there's all kinds, you know, you know, white cross and black beauties and things like that. And, you know, you take enough of them and yeah, you'll be seeing, <laughs> you know, you'll be seeing the walls melt and your hands, right. uh, you know, go away. So, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, uh, um, it's, uh, it's not surprising that, that, you know, that he did experience, some of the stuff uh, that he said he did, uh, but because of the other witnesses that confirmed, you know, besides Tessa, of course, uh, that that some of the things that that he was talking about did actually occur. You know, obviously there was something else going on uh, surrounding, you know, him and his family. Gotcha. Very interesting. So, so now let's get back to this. Um... <clears throat> computer simulation mm -hmm. so if if we are indeed living in a computer simulation what what are some of the hallmarks that that tell us that hmm <laughs> well that's a good question i wish i <laughs> i wish uh, i could tell you well, I mean, probably in, in well, the, probably in, well go ahead quick. well in in the matrix right the the way that they did it is that you'd see the cat walk by twice you know and the cat would like glitch yeah right I mean, well I'm, I'm i'm an it guy right by by mm -hmm. profession i'm an it guy and you know no matter no matter the the machine is pure right the machine for the most part is pure that it will do whatever you tell it to do so a lot of the things like bugs and we call them bugs but they're like problems in the software glitches you know those are the byproduct of the human that coded them Right. So so I would imagine that if like the Matrix, if you extrapolated it out and said, OK, this whole thing is a computer simulation, whether it's run by mice or whoever, you know, there there would be it can't be per, it can't be perfect. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine that there are glitches and, and other things that we could watch for. Well, I mean, I would say myself that, you know, you would you would see some things that just, you know, you you just would not expect uh, to happen in in, you know, normal everyday reality, you know, like Trump being elected president. I, you know, I think that's a good example right there of a, a glitch in the matrix. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Dennis Rodman being one of our lead negotiators with north korea another oh yeah yeah <laughs> he's, he's, on a, he's on a mission he's on a mission uh, um you know uh tim beckley you know it, it it it's his speculation that um you know the the synchronicities may be an example of of some of these glitches um but you know that's and that's one of the things that you know we've we've endless all of us have endlessly speculated on you know uh, whether or not synchronicities um have meaning or if they're just random events or if you know like like you were saying if they if if they're glitches um, you know, in, in, you know, in this, uh, 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 
I don't want to say man-made, but you know, the created uh, artificial. Uh, simulate artificial, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, reality. Um, you know, because in the book, Beckley writes uh, uh, quite a bit about these just just really to him bizarre synchronicities that um just don't really make any sense they're just kind of things that you just go wow that's weird why did that happen uh, you know I'll, I'll tell you one that happened to me and unfortunately i didn't remember this until after the book was written because it's it, it's a good one um I, my daughter and I had taken my wife to the the Evansville airport uh, to, for her to for my wife to catch a plane to Atlanta, and uh, after she left, I uh, there it was like a little um, little shop uh, um, um, there at the airport, and it was called what was it like the Flying Saucer Cafe? I think is what it was called. Flying Saucer Cafe or the UFO Cafe, you know, something like that. And, uh, uh, I mean, it really wasn't, you know, like UFO or Flying Saucer themed. I'm not quite sure why they had that name. So I bought, you know, I bought my, I bought my daughter something to drink. And, uh, when I got the receipt, the, um, the receipt number was, let me make sure I can get this right now. Uh, the receipt number was like six, was it 621 or 622? I can't remember now. I think it was 62247. The, uh, uh, okay. the date that uh, Kenneth Arnold, you know, had his UFO sighting uh, over Mount Rainier. That's coming, right. c- coming from the uh, Flying Saucer Cafe. Cafe. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's strange. Yeah, it was. It was, uh, uh, you know, and nobody else, you know, but myself or, or you know, maybe Beckley or somebody like that would have noticed that. But it stood out to me, and it was just like this, this, this weird synchronicity made no sense. Why would it happen? I mean, it's not like uh, uh, you know, because a lot of people uh, uh, talk about uh, how synchronicities can uh, actually, you know, help you in life. That if if, uh, uh, if if you're wanting something, yeah, uh, what's that book uh, book and movie, The Secret? Oh, you right. know, one yeah. of the, yeah, one of the things about that whole thing is that you know you need to watch out for you know like uh, synchronicities or meaningful coincidences that will lead you in the direction of you know whatever whatever it is you know that you're wanting out of life, and uh, uh, but. You know, in my experience, and I think with a lot of people's experience when it comes to synchronicities, uh, it never works like that. It's just something weird. You know, it's just, it's just something that makes no sense. It, you know, it stands out to you for some reason, but it doesn't, you know, it was like my experience, you know, at the uh, at that cafe. I mean, it just it, it didn't lead to, you know, like some kind of, you know, like big book deal where I made a bunch of money or anything like that. No, it's just something just like, yeah, well, that's, uh, you know, that's that's weird. You know, uh, well, you know I, I heard a good one once uh, that was more of a time slip that uh, Ron, Ron, you'll know that story. The one that Clyde tells about when. Before Clyde, uh, Clyde Lewis, the host of Ground Zero, before he, he was in radio, <clears throat> he worked for the, I think, Department of Transportation in Utah. And he was out late one night, and he was supposed to meet somebody, I think, for to get, like, breakfast at, like, 2 in the morning or something. And he came across this, this restaurant, 
and I, I'm butchering it. Clyde tells him much better, but he, he came across <laughs> this restaurant and it, it had a very provocative name that, that doesn't bear repeating, but <laughs> right. Well, it was, it had a racist connotation. It had a racist too. connotation. Oh, okay. All right. And, um, <clears throat> and so he goes inside and he eats and he had a receipt and he paid and there, there were like two, I think two cops there and a bunch of other people. And then he left and he, he went to the guy, this older guy that he worked with, who was supposed to have met him. He said, Hey, I, I went to this weird restaurant. It has a massively inappropriate name. You know, it's weird. I never knew it was there. I had never seen it there before. And it was on a stretch of road that I guess they would go up and down commonly putting toilet paper in like, you know, like rest stops, that kind of thing. And the guy's like, hold on a minute. What did you call it? And he said, told him the name. He goes, oh, I know that place. That place burned down in like 1962. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 no. I was there last night. And he like shows him the receipt. He's like, I have a receipt from there. And then, and it, so he, he kind of tossed it up to being something bizarre. And he had checked it out. And he talked to the people who were like the great grandchildren of the people who owned it. <clears throat> they had confirmed that there had been a restaurant there at that time. Um, it had burned down in like the sixties or the seventies and it was completely gone. He went there the next day and there was a foundation, but there was nothing there. And, you know, and he kind of, he kind of forgot about it and, t and chalked it up to being a, uh, just a weird thing that he experienced years later, he was watching some movie and Steve Buscemi was in the movie and I don't remember which movie it was, but apparently in the movie he collected stuff from this cafe. <laughs> and so here's Clyde watching it. He, you know, he'd just gotten off work and, you know, he'd done his show and he's sitting in, on the couch watching a movie and he's watching this movie. He's like, oh my God, that <clears throat> I've been to one of those. I, that this story, I forgot all about it. And so then <laughs> he went on the show, I think the next night. Because Clyde, Clyde's one of those guys, he's got a great show, but he's one of those guys where he'll try to plan ahead, but if something like falls on his lap or hits him in the head, he'll be like, I got to do it now, I got to do it now, and he gets really right. excited, right? And so he goes on the air and he tells a story about this, this restaurant and that he had gone, and he actually, he has, he had change. I mean, he literally had change that they had given him, Right. And he had a receipt and everything else. And he goes on the air and he tells the story. And then suddenly all these people start calling up going, I remember that place. I right. They were thinking, substantiating what yeah, he was saying. Yeah. And, and, and he had, and he, and he, he actually became somewhat famous for this event for a while. So, you know, maybe it was a time slip, but the synchronicity of him seeing Steve Buscemi, like collecting this, this junk from this restaurant chain, it was like a chain in Utah and Idaho there were like five or six of them, I think, well, mm -hmm. you know, seeing that like triggered his memory. And then he went on the air and like started talking about it. And then it like the phones just like lit up, yeah. you know, and, and it went crazy. <laughs> and so you know, then it became, it went from being a time slip to being a synchronicity. Right. I love time slip stories. I've, you know, I've written, you know, whole articles and even, you know, a, a, a book that, you know, had a large portion of it dealing with time slips. You know, it, uh, it kind of surprised me because, you know, a lot of times with these stories and, and there are so many people who have had 
just almost identical experiences like Clyde had, you know, they'll come across the restaurant that, you know, they'll go in and they'll eat and you know, have a great time. Prices are fantastic, you know, much lower than, you know, uh, oh, yeah. than, than they like, would expect. He was like, it's the cheap, cheapest waffles, you know, cheapest waffles and bacon I had all month. Right, yeah. right. You know, then they'll go, you know, they'll go and they're like, oh, you know, later they say, let's go back to that restaurant again. They go back and there's, you know, nothing there. And uh, some of these stories, though, the odd thing is, is that, uh, you know, they'll go and look into like old historical records, but they'll find nothing that there never was anything at that location that even came close to, you know, like a, a restaurant or a hotel or motel, you know, at that location, you know, which, you know, it's like, you know, well, you know, was it a time slip or was it a, you know, a reality glitch or, you know, an alternative universe, you know, type of situation? Uh, you, know, you telling that story and, and asking about, you know, what, what I think would be, you know, like a, a glitch in the matrix. It reminded me of, you know, this is, this is a personal experience that I had, uh, when I was living in Indianapolis, um, I was, uh, uh, I was working for this, uh, uh, company, uh, you know, kind of like a, just a, you know, little part-time job, uh, on top of everything else I was doing where I would go to say like, uh, uh, houses or apartment buildings and take, uh, uh 360 degree, uh, photographs that, uh, you know, they the company would then put them online, uh, so, so people could see, you know, just exactly, uh, you know, if they were interested in, you know, uh, renting an apartment or buying a house or something like that. So I was at this apartment complex and I was, I was, uh, setting up to take these pictures and between the buildings, uh, uh, there was, there was a pretty good sized parking lot. And I, and I saw this guy walking across the parking lot towards one of the buildings and he was kind of, uh, he was walking towards me kind of, you know, like, uh, you know, kind of like at an, at an angle. And what, what struck me about him was that he was dressed rather, rather oddly. I mean, it was a summer day. He had on like a big floppy type of garden hat. That's about the best way I could describe it. You know, something that, you know, like maybe a woman would wear if they were out in the garden to protect herself, you know, from the sun. He had on a very brightly colored shirt. You know, maybe it had like, you know, uh, stripes or something like that. And then he was wearing shorts that maybe, you know, had like a Hawaiian design on them. Tennis shoes, you know, like black socks, almost up to the knees, uh, big thick glasses, and he was carrying two big plastic bags of of groceries. And I watched him, you know, because you know, here's this guy dressed, you know, pretty pretty bizarrely, uh, uh, you know, walk towards this building and and you know, disappear uh, around the corner. Well, I I looked down at my camera to you know continue setting up for the shot. You know, I hadn't looked down more than, you know, just really just a few seconds. I glanced up again. Here this guy again was halfway across the parking lot coming back again. It, it was almost like it was almost like um you know like a film had been yeah had been run run back yes exactly exactly he he looked exactly the same carrying the same bags walking the very same way it was like i was viewing this all over again and uh uh, uh later uh, the, the, the lady who was the manager at this place, you know, cause, cause I asked about him 
And she told me that uh, there used to be a guy that lived in that building, but that about a year a year before I had this sighting, he was coming back to his apartment after visiting the grocery store and he got hit by a car and killed. And he, you know, he was uh, somewhat, um, you know, like, uh, um, um, uh, what were mentally deficient? You know, I mean, he, he was uh, not so much that he couldn't take care of himself, you know, cause you know, he was able, he was able to rent an apartment. He couldn't drive a car or anything like that. So he always had to walk wherever he had to go. And, so he wasn't uh, going back to he wasn't going back to his his uh, trunk to get more groceries, is what you're no. saying? No, no, not at all, not at all. Uh, uh, and 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 the and the parking lot was practically empty too. You know, it was a pretty good sized parking lot. If there were any cars, they were parked, you know, like right up against the sidewalk, uh, uh, right next to the building. So when I saw him, I mean, there wasn't any other vehicle or any other obstructions around him. You know, so I saw him very clearly. Like I said, this was, you know, maybe, you know, like noon, one o'clock in the afternoon, bright sunlight. And, uh, you know, I mean, it just look, you know, just look like, you know, anybody, you know, uh, anybody who dressed, dressed like that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, coming across the parking lot. Uh, but then, you know, like I said, it, it, it was, it was really bizarre. It was like somebody had rewound the tape and set it off again. Uh, that's, that's uh, weird. yeah, it, it was, I mean, and weird considering that this guy, uh, based on my description, the manager recognized his, the, my description immediately. She goes, Oh yeah, that was such and such. And, uh, he's dead now. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, well, thank you. You know, <laughs> well, you know so I, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I had a weird co- coincidence. Um, not, not quite that, that cool, but, but weird nevertheless, you know, I, I have a, a somewhat unique name. Uh, the combination of my name, the my first name is uh, Swedish, and my last name is Welsh, right? Right, and, okay. And so I was named after my great-grandfather, and so I have this, you know, my name is Olaf Phillips, right? And so, you know, for a long time, I, I thought I was the only one in the world, because why mm. why would you have that combination? that you have a Swedish first name and a Welsh last name. Mm-hmm. So with the advent of, I, I had always searched to, to see if there was another one of me out there, just out of curiosity. And there there's a soccer player. His name is Ken Olaf Phillips, but that means his Olaf is his middle name, not his first name. So he doesn't count, right? Mm-hmm. And so one day <clears throat> I was on Facebook and I typed in my name. And I was just trying to get to my main page, and I don't know why. Maybe I was just not thinking straight that day, or whatever. And I, I just, I had, I searched for myself to find myself. Well, lo and behold, another guy comes up with the same name, hmm. and I'm like, wow, this must be one of my <clears throat> an older profile or something. And it's not. It's a guy with the same name as me. Okay. That's pretty strange, considering that I have a name that's my first name is Scandinavian, my last name is Welsh. Okay, right. Uh, it turns out that my my the way I got the name is a little different, but it turns out that he was named after his great grandfather, and that his part of his family had emigrated to Sweden. I'm Swedish, part Swedish. His uh, his family had emigrated to Sweden from Wales, which is a weird, mm. which is a bit strange. Mm-hmm. But it got better, so he <clears throat> he was my age. Well, he he is my age. 
Um, he basically does the same thing as I do. We don't look alike. I'm, I'm huskier than he is, but you know, we're about the same height. I'm, I'm like I said, a little, a little heavier boned, uh, and frankly fatter, (laughs) but, but, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're basically the same age We're we basically do the same thing. We basically have the same name. Our middle names are different, but we have basically the same name. He's in Sweden. I'm in America, right? But he had, but everything else is pretty close to matching. The only difference is, is that he has more kids than me. <laughs> I have two. He has three. But but you know, on a personal level, we like the same kinds of things. We do the same kinds of things. You know, I mean, it's really bizarre. It's it. You know, it, it seemed very glitchy to me. Oh, yeah. Because ha- what are the odds that somebody has my name? And then when I find that person and he finds me, we get along really well. We're about the same age. We're about the same height. You know, we, we do basically the same thing, except he's more a, cons- a consultant where I'm more of a strict engineer. He was a strict engineer, but started to do consulting, which I've thought about doing, right? And, and that just seemed very odd to me that the only significant difference is we even wear glasses. We have the same hair color. We don't look alike. You know, our facial structure is different. But, I mean, a lot of the basic elements of, of who I am and who he is are very, very similar. Hmm. And that seemed very odd to me. It's like a psychic doppelganger almost. Yeah, yeah. And, and that gets into the whole other thing with the doppelgangers where – you know, you have two people that basically look alike. You know, that, that also would, would be very much a glitch kind of thing. I mean, what are the odds that you come from two completely different families and you end up looking the same? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I used to look like David Duchovny back in the 90s. My hair was the same. And, I mean, it wasn't on purpose. It was just yeah, people short, would come up to me. You're short, uh, Ron. I know. He, he's much taller than I am. But still, people would think. Oh, are you related to David Duchovny? <laughs> well, it was just yes. interesting because, you know, at the time I was just really involved with uh, doing a lot of research on CIA mind control stuff and, you know, conspiracy. So, yeah, I guess that's where the synchronicity lies, you know. But, there, there are, but you know, what you're saying, you know, there's a lot, right? I remember once when I was a little kid, I was sitting, my parents had a van again, one of those VW uh-huh. van again, campers. Oh yeah, yeah. We're gonna. We always every year in the summer we would go camping in a place called Fort Klamath, outside of Fort Klamath. It's on the way to Crater Lake, and every year we'd go there and we'd always go to the same campground and you know we'd pretty much always get the same spot and whatever. And we, you know, when we would go to leave, they would reserve the same camp camp spot for the next year. I mean, they're kind of like that. But I remember distinctly uh, sitting sitting in the back seat. And kind of dozing off because, I mean, let's be honest, it's boring as hell driving. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When, when you're a kid, man, it's boring as hell. And I remember uh, falling asleep. And I had this, like, it was precognitive. I, have, I had this dream that we were going through a stretch of, of road. And, you know, I had seen that stretch of road a thousand times, but we were going mm-hmm. up that stretch of road. And what struck me is that I, I remember seeing a, a horse peeing. 
<laughs> which is stupid. It's stupid, but I remember seeing a horse right. peeing on the side of the road. And that's not something you see every day, right? Or right. I mean, yeah. if you have horses, maybe, but I don't have horses, so it's not something that's common for me. And and I'm like, and I woke up and I thought, well, that's a bizarre dream. And then I look straight ahead through the windshield. I can see, I can see the same road. And I mean, literally right when I wake up, I can see the same road. We're going down there and I'll be damned if there isn't a horse peeing. <laughs> I mean, talk about tri- trivial psychic phenomenon. That is, that yeah. is. But wow. Again, again, that's synchronistic. You know, mm-hmm. that, that it's like, well, I had this dream and then there's the horse peeing. I remember us driving by the horse and I remember the horse like looking at me like, what are you looking at? <laughs> <laughs> what are you looking at, punk? Or what are you thinking? What are yeah. You, what are, I'm peeing. What are you thinking? <laughs> but, it, but it's true. It's true. You know, when you sit down and you think about it. You know, and, and having been, you know, we've been talking for almost an hour and it's pretty much been an hour of, well, this synchronicity, this synchronicity, this synchronicity, this synchronicity. Mm-hmm. When you sit down and, and you actually sit down and think about it, then they suddenly start to start to happen. You know, I, I remember I remember when I met Clyde, I think it was like 1998. I was a college student who was just dipping his toe in the whole UFO research thing. Back then, I saw I thought they were all everything was an alien. Oh yeah. Yeah, and and I had I had a website that was pretty big, and Clyde had come by it I guess and thought it was interesting and he wanted to talk to me and and I I went on the show for like an hour. I'd never done a radio show in my life and and I mm. just. I don't know. I, I think I was probably the worst guest ever, <laughs> you know, and, and he, you know, he was asking me, where did I get all, cause I had a massive repository of files. This is back when text files were big. And mm-hmm. I, I had lucked out and found this place that were called simple net where it was like unlimited storage. So I was like, you know what? If it's unlimited. I'm going to test that theory and I'm going to try to fill it. Yeah. And so, you know, Clyde had, was intrigued by that, and he called me up, and he, I came on the show, and, and I, I thought nothing of it afterwards. I'm like, well, I, I fucked that up, you know. That's probably the end of my burgeoning career as a researcher. And then I went back to being a college student, right? And then a couple, a couple days later, I get this, like, panic-stricken phone call from Clyde <laughs> that, you know, this UFO had crashed in in Tracy, not far from where, where I was, maybe an hour away. And there's a tire fire and, and there's there's dead bodies and lasers from Lawrence Livermore and all this crazy shit. And I keep thinking to myself as he's telling me this story, why the hell are you calling me, Clyde? You must have a <laughs> Rolodex of, like, real researchers, you know? Right. But he, for some reason, he felt compelled to call me. Maybe it was my proximity. I don't know. But <clears throat> I... I thought, well, that that was weird that he called me. He doesn't know me very well. I mean, I talked to the guy for like an hour, maybe an hour and a half, and he calls me up and he he's like, "I need you to help me do this. I need you to help me do this." And so I did it, and I kind of, you know, it was exciting, and you know, I think we some weird shit happened. Uh, he got a mysterious fax back in the days when people fax things. He got a mysterious fax. We were able to prove that the the basic elements of the facts were probably actually true. 
Uh, we, I looked in the tire fire. It was weird. Uh, there were a lot of weird things about the tire fire, you know, and it, and it goes on and on. And, and after it was all over, we did a big show. We got a lot of people calling in. It was a lot of fun. And then I went back to being a college student, right? Mm-hmm. And then he called me again. Hmm. And then he's been, you know, he not so much now, but, but, you know, pretty much off and on for the next, you know, 20 years, you know, whatever. He's been calling me off and on going, well, I need some help with this or I need some help with that. You got to figure this out. You got to figure that out. You know, and it, it all stems from a sing from a singular event that I went on there to talk about some chicken shit website that I had. I thought it was pretty cool at the time, you know, but he, you know, he was impressed by it and he wanted me to come on. And I guess, you know, it was slow that day and he needed somebody to fill air. <laughs> but, but, but after, but he was apparently impressed enough by that conversation that pretty much, you know, we've been friends ever since. And that, that was a weird synchronicity. And, and what's really, really bizarre about it is that years and years later, um, you guys remember that show UFO hunters with Bill Burns? Oh, sure. Okay. So I get a phone call from, from the people at UFO hunters and they're like, we want to do a show about the Tracy crash. And there's only two people in the world that know anything about it. You and Clyde. Right. And I was like, I'll be damned. That was like the first, first like research I ever did was on that, you know, and that was really the first case I ever worked. And (laughs) And it, it came out of the blue. I, I was really dumbfounded on why Clyde called me back at the time. And, you know, and I got on TV. Right. You know, and look so, at you today. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I've been on TV like six times. <laughs> but but again, that was synchronistic, right? Some For some reason, he felt compelled to call me for, for some wild-ass reason. And then years, like decades later... You know, I get a phone call about this crash and, you know, I get to go on TV and talk about it. And then I get to meet Bill Burns and then I, you know, I get to know Bill and, you know, he's a great guy. And, you know, I have a nice uh, friendship with Bill and his wife, Nancy, and, you know, whatever. But it's like these things happen and I, I got friends out of it. And then down the line, you know, other things happen because of it and other things happen because of it. And it's been a reoccurring theme now for since it happened that every so often, like we were interviewing a guy about the cannabis conspiracy, mm-hmm. right? Uh-huh. And Joe, uh, Sirletti, and we're talking about weed. And we're talking about pot, right? And he stops the interview like halfway through it and he's all, "You okay, enough of this pot crap. You got to tell me about the Tracy crash. Oh my gosh. And it's like, you know, every so often, like regular five year intervals, somebody wants to hear about the Tracy crash. <laughs> it's like every, you know, and it's been going on for like, I don't know, 20 years almost. Just years. F- from that singular event. Yeah. The, 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 you know, the, the way that things branch out from that. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's extremely fascinating. It is. You know, how that, how that happens and, and, and what, in what kind of influence something like that can have on you for the rest of your life. Oh, yeah. I mean, you think about all the things that happen to you every day and, you know, and then that's it. But then there's this one that has had such a major influence on you in so many different ways. And yet, and you can trace it back to that one 
one event, that, yeah, that one time. One time, and it, and it just stunned me. He called me in the evening, and he was just freaking out. <laughs> and and I'm like, what what is it? Because I don't know him hardly at all. And I'm like, why are you calling me? Well, I had your number for when you were on the show, like, last week, you know? <laughs> the the other one is John Teeter. Uh when John mm-hmm. Teeter was posting on on uh post to post, right? That at right. one Keith Rowland had decided in his infinite wisdom that he wanted <laughs> to shut down post to post. I guess he got tired of admin or whatever Keith wanted to do, you know. And and um I said, Well, you know what, there's a raging conversation here. Let's not end that conversation. That's that's BS. So I hosted a forum, and I, and me and a couple other people basically copied, uh, took a backup before he shut it down of all the the posts that Teeter had made. Oh wow! And I said, okay, well, I I put them in the in the the topic on the forum, and I said, why don't you guys just continue to have the conversation here? And so they all pretty much migrated, and the conversation kept going. And then you know I I came to the realization that that the Teeter thing is probably a hoax. It's it's a fun story, but it's got some problems and whatever. And I, I kind of thought about it, and I just didn't want to really deal with it too much. So I just let them keep going, and I kind of divorced myself from it. <clears throat> and then, you know, but then I, you know, people want, I got, I went on Coast to Coast to talk about it. I've gone on Coast to Coast a couple times to talk about it. I've gone on uh, Jimmy Church's show, Fade to Black, to talk about it. You know, it's like every so often somebody's like, oh, you're part you're a major player in the teeter thing and i'm like really they're like yeah you gotta come and talk about it okay you know and and the the pinnacle was that there was a a a tv show in italy on rai2 called voyager and voyager wanted to cover the john teeter thing and some people had had incorrectly fingered me as john teeter i'm not that i'm not that smart you know (laughs) <laughs> but they wanted to do it. And so Voyager, the show Voyager, was going to get to the bottom of it, right? So they, they literally went through the whole thing, and they, they ended up kind of talking to Larry Haber and his brother and kind of fingering Larry, Larry Haber as the source of the John Teeter thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I go on this show in Italy to talk about John Teeter. You know, they come to my house, they film me, you know, and... and uh, they they overdubbed me with some weird weird guy <laughs> you know i mean it just it just went on and on you know yeah and it's like the teeter thing is another thing that i can't i can't escape that for some reason you know the teeter thing just keeps coming back and coming back and coming back and it all stems from a single singular decision of well that's you know like keith Rowland, that's not cool you shouldn't shut that down and I'm going to let people keep talking about it, you know? I often wondered why he shut that down. If I had to make a guess, I would say it's just management of it. Yeah. You know, because one of the problems with running a forum is that, you know, I had moderators, volunteer moderators and stuff, but, you know, people keep fighting and fighting and fighting. Oh, yeah. You just kind of lose your, your patience for it after a while. But it was, you know, it was such an interesting topic. I mean, because I mean, I was, I was there, uh, you know. I mean, I did, I did not contribute that much to any of the conversations. Right. I was more of a lurker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
but but yeah, I remember that though. I didn't I didn't continue after uh, he. Gosh, I mean, I I left before he even shut it shut it down. Well, it, it yeah. had kind of run its course at that point, but they. they oh yeah, they yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was it, it it was it was it was interesting for a while, but like you cool. said, you know, after a while, it's just like, yeah, this. <laughs> uh, you know, it's uh, I started I started to suspect that, uh, you know, it 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 wasn't it wasn't legitimate. You know, it's, it's <laughs> no, it's as legitimate as Piltdown Man. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There you go. Well, I studied anthropology. <laughs> You know the thing about Piltdown Man is that they kept they kept pushing Piltdown Man into the sixties. The 70s. Oh sure. I mean there were there were textbooks in the eighties that still claimed that Piltdown Man was real. Mm-hmm. Oh well I I remember as a as a kid uh, uh books in our local library because I was fascinated, you know, about uh, um uh you know dinosaurs and you know uh early man and things like that. And you know uh, Piltdown Man was still listed, you know, as uh, you know, uh, right there, you know, along the rest of them. Of course, this was, you know, this was before, you know, like Lucy and you know some of the other ones had been discovered, you know. Uh, well, of course, I, you know, I think a lot of a lot of people were wanting, you know, Piltdown Man to be real because you know that was, uh, well, you know, Milstein Lake, and it 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 gave you know that that English pride, so yes, to speak. You know? yes, yes, <laughs> I think I think that had a lot to do with it. Well, you know, you were. Um, uh, one of the things that that could be considered, you know, like a possible uh, a glitch in in the matrix is some events that you know that that maybe some people would uh, uh, prescribe to say like a a paranormal event. Sure. And uh, you know, I I had one, uh, and you know, this is just a couple of months ago. Uh, I had uh, just come back uh, from the store. And uh, usually when I go to the store, I'll, I'll buy myself, you know, like a, 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 a guilty pleasure, an energy drink. And uh, I brought it in first because it was separate, you know, from the bags. And I put it in my refrigerator at a specific spot that I always put them. Uh, so I knew it was there, went and unpacked everything, you know, got everything out of the car, you know, uh, in, in the various cabinets and the refrigerator and things like that. Uh, went back to get my drink, open it up there and it was gone. It wasn't there. And I was like, I know, I mean, I, I know I put it there, but it clearly wasn't there. So, you know, I started doing the, you know, the systematic search, you know, went back out to the car. No, it wasn't uh, where, you know, I usually would put it, uh, uh, checked, you know, uh, bags that, you know, that, you know, like had cat food in them and hadn't been really unpacked yet. Wasn't in there. Even went down to the downstairs freezer to see if I had accidentally, you know, put it down there. Nowhere to be found. Repeatedly, you know, repeatedly going back to the refrigerator and checking again. Well, you know, to you make think sure. you're crazy. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly, right. exactly. So then, later that day, I open the refrigerator. There it is. Yeah, that's a glitch. Right in its location. Now, my wife, of course, you know, when I tell her the story, she's just like, "Ah, that's you. You were just being man blind." 
Uh, and, and uh, my yeah, well, you know what that is, don't you? You know, that, yeah, 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 yeah. And any you know, any married man, you know, your wife always accuses you of that. Of course, and of course, I've seen some guys too. You know, like you know, they'll they open really their are. sock drawer. Yeah, open the sock drawer, and you're like, you know, honey, where are my socks? You know, that's a, sure. uh, but this this was not the case. I swear to you, it was not the case. It was not there. I know I had put it there. It was gone, and then it was back again. You know, now, uh, you know, some people would say, oh, well, you know, that was like, you know, like a, like a poltergeist, you know, experience, you know, or something like that, you know, cause you know, a poltergeist, you know, they're, they're extremely fond of taking things and putting them someplace else or never bringing them back. And, uh, but, uh, you know, as far as I know, I mean, that's, that's been the only kind of incident in our house. So I really wouldn't think it would be something like that. Uh, so you know, like you said, it's it, it is it's it's almost like a glitch in you know that that reality programming, right. you know, for for some reason, you know. Well, you know, what, we were talking about anthropology. You know, <clears throat> we're getting toward the end of the show now, but we were talking about anthropology, and uh, one of the interesting things about Vallis, you were mm-hmm. talking about Vallis and, and Philip K. Dick earlier. Um, one of the interesting things about Vallis is that uh, Krober, who was like the uh, kind of the originator of American, the American wing of anthropology, uh, you know, Krober Hall, if you ever go to UC Berkeley, you know, famous, famous guy, uh, I believe uh, Octavia Butler's uh, dad. Um, well, anyway, about science fiction. Well, Krober, mm-hmm. Krober had a theory that he called the super organic. And he he believed that all people were plugged into this thing called the super organic, which was like an amorphous cloud of culture and knowledge that enshrouded the earth. Mm. And we were all connected to it, and that's where culture came from, is the culture was downloaded into us from, from the super organic. You could argue that that's the Akashic Record or whatever. I, I was just going to say that sounds an awful lot like the Akashic, Akashic Record. Record. But, yeah. but he believed that we're, we, he's very, you know, the language that he used at the time, they didn't have words like downloaded, but he, he, he claimed that, that we were communicated with by the, by the super organic, that it would push down the information to us, which is very reminiscent of what, what, uh, Dick said about Vallis that, you know, he was bathed in the pink light or it with the laser and he started to get information. Well, Krober believed something very similar, but he didn't believe that it was a satellite. He believed that it was an amorphous cloud of energy that enshrouded the earth. Right. Well, and, you know, uh, uh, Dick, I mean, I don't know how much he actually believed, you know, that Vallis was, you know, was a satellite or whether or not that was just something, you know, just like a uh, like a plot device, you know, that he that he used in his in his books. Um, uh, Because, I mean, I, you know, I get I get the idea from talking to, you know, people who knew him at the time. That you know he he wasn't really you know sure himself, right. uh, which which you know goes back to you know like that idea that he was working on about uh, 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 time being you know stopped or dilated or, or something along yeah, those lines that 
Yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah. So uh, you know, it, 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 you know, he he said it could very well, you know, uh, I think Tesla had said very well it could have been, you know, almost like a uh, uh, an Akashic uh, record type of thing for for want of a better term, sure. you know. Uh, but uh, whatever it was that happened to him, it started out uh, as a physical event. Right. You know, this, you know, this, this, uh, you know, I either a reflection uh, uh, from this uh, a pendant that this woman was wearing uh, or an actual, you know, being struck in the head, you know, by a beam of, uh, of, of pink light. And, you know, I mean, uh, you know, as well as I do, that uh, there have been a number of people through the years mm-hmm. uh, who have had uh, UFO experiences, who have had sure. something, you know, strikingly familiar. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, they'll, they'll see something in the sky and all of a sudden they're hit with a beam of light, a very narrow beam of light, you know, a lot of times right in the head. A lot of these people then come out of it with, with completely changed personalities, you know, new interest, uh, 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 advanced uh, revelations, advanced mathematical understandings, you know, almost becoming like, yeah, Yeah. becoming like uh, savants, you know, so it could, you know, it could very well have been that, you know, Philip K. Dick, you know, had undergone the very same kind of experience, uh, except that he didn't see a ufo or at least you know he did right that he did right well it's it's been about an hour (laughs) so (laughs) that's our podcast um so tim why don't you tell us uh, where people can find you and uh, what you're working on Sure. Well, uh, right now, uh, 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 I'm, I'm taking just just a very brief break after uh, helping put together uh, the uh, the Philip K. Dick book uh, because it's a you know like an o- over 400 page uh, book. So this Damn. this was. Yeah, this this is quite a, a monumental uh, effort. Uh, however, I, I mean, I am uh, uh, continuing uh, to to write articles uh, for various you know uh, publications and websites and and things like that, and uh, working on working on some ideas for um, uh, my next book. Um, but uh, you know, if uh, anybody is interested in uh, the the Philip K. Dick book or any of the other ones that. Uh, you know, I've written or Timothy Green Beckley or any of us who, you know, work for global communications. All you have to do is just, you know, go to Amazon.com, you know, type in my name, type in Timothy Green Beckley's name and uh, you'll name. Have- <laughs> yes, that's right. That's yeah. right. Uh, uh, yeah, and uh, you'll be uh, uh, <laughs> the, you'll be flooded with uh, uh, enough excellent material to uh, to keep you happy for 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 quite a while. Uh, you can also visit our website. It's uh, conspiracyjournal.com. Uh, we we put out a, a free newsletter um, every week. Uh, we have about you know six or seven uh, interesting uh, weird stories uh, that uh, we've collected. I've got stringers all over the place that send me uh, these interesting stories, and I have to glean them all down uh, to put them in the newsletter. That's free. You just give us uh, you know there's a place you can give us your uh, email address, and uh, we'll send it to you uh, you know every week. No spam, uh, no no nothing, just the newsletter. Wow. <laughs> I love the newsletter. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, you know, you know I, we have been putting that out since about nineteen, I think ninety-eight. I have to go back and, and wow. check, but it definitely is pre two thousand. Wow. Very, very early in the days of the internet. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, we've we've lost Ron. 
So I will do the closing by myself. Um, so uh, that was another uh, amazingly insightful, most awesomeness uh, podcast ever. Uh, again, thank you, Tim Schwartz, for joining us. Uh, we'll have to have you back. You are the master of many things. You can talk about almost anything. So we'll definitely <laughs> uh, get you thank back. You. <laughs> and you write great and, stuff. Anytime. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, as always, you can find us on Facebook at Paranoia Magazine. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Paranoia Mags. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Paranoia Mag. Uh, you can visit ParanoiaMagazine.com, ParanoiaPublishing.com. Uh, we're, we're always working on new and interesting stuff. Uh, sometimes we don't update the website uh, as often as we should, but there's a lot of stuff that's always going on, so definitely check Facebook. Um, probably when this podcast goes up, I will have the video of the UFO that I caught on that night vision gear. Um, if you are looking for night vision gear, I am going to be writing a review of the the uh, monocular that I have, it's a GT14 from Bearing Optics. It's amazing. Um, but I'm going to write a review of it with photos and other stuff that I'm taking. Um, so check it out. So uh, as I always say at the end of every one of these, uh, <clears throat> you know, be excellent to each other and good night. Thank you for listening to Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. Sponsored by Paranoia Magazine. Read it now. Paranoiamagazine.com Intro theme, The Guide, was composed by Scott Moon. ScottMoon.net Outro theme, Fighting Trousers, is by Professor Elemental. ProfessorElemental.com Voiceover written and performed by Mr. Lobo, host of Cinema Insomnia. Watch new episodes on OSI 74. Visit us at OSI74.com. We are resuming control. For now. <laughs>